Well, first of all, I want to say thank you to Justin for being willing to jump down here on short notice and, and fill in for me last week. I was a little bit exhausted on Sunday after the service on Saturday, but I praise God for it. It was snowy, as you all know. It was a disaster weather-wise, uh, but nonetheless, it was a beautiful service. And uh, and so I'm very thankful to Justin for uh, offering. He offered. I didn't ask him to come down and do that. I'm very thankful for it. Today, we continue our uh, look at Ruth. And we spent two sermons on Ruth chapter 1, first considering that introductory uh, section there in which there was only bleakness. Ru- uh, Naomi and, and Elimelech had made the foolish decision to leave the house of bread, Bethlehem, because there was a famine, and to leave the place of the Lord, of God's provision, the Holy Land, and instead to go to where they thought the grass was greener, there on the other side of the fence in Moab, a dangerous thing to do. And we have, we reflected on that, about our tendency, again, towards self-reliance, even as we thought about this morning in Jesus' words, not to worry about what you will eat or how you will be clothed. And that sounds so nice when we read it in the scriptures. And it makes so much sense when we give it as a word of exhortation. But when it comes down to brass tacks decisions, and there's a famine in the land, And I've got two boys i got to provide for. How do we do it? And unfortunately, Elimelech and Naomi decided to leave the house of bread, that city of Bethlehem, and flee to the land of Moab. And as we acknowledged at that time, in this particular moment of time, the call was for repentance. Not Not because Naomi and Elimelech had done anything wrong, but that there was sin in the land, because this is a unique time in the history of Israel that time of the Holy Land, there between Judges and the exile. But again, they in self-reliance headed out to the green fields of Moab. But as we considered in that beginning section, things did not go well. The foolishness of that decision came back to bite them and bite them quite severely. As they got down to the land and then Elimelech died, the two boys then married Moabite women. Again, Naomi had the chance at that point maybe to say, let's go back to Israel, back to the house of bread, but she stayed, the boys married the Moabite women, and then they both died in succession, leaving Naomi now, a foreigner in a strange land, without any provision, without a husband to provide, without her two boys to provide, and now with these two daughters-in-law. And so the situation was bleak indeed. Then in the text that we considered um, two weeks ago, Naomi finally hears word that the famine in Israel is breaking and that the Lord is providing. And so she makes the first good decision here, and that is to go back, go back to the house of Israel, to the land that God provides for his people. But she's got these two Moabite women with her, these two Gentile women, these two daughters-in-law. What hope is there for them? There's no possibility of her having new sons that they can marry, and they are going to be in a bad way. And so she encourages them to go back to their mother's homes to find husbands for themselves in Moab and to trust and back to the gods of Moab. Again, we can question the wisdom of this decision, but again, thinking economically, and this was the 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 what the thought we had two weeks ago was what is the calculus by which we're making our decisions? 
And for Naomi, she was making decisions based on an economic calculus, right? Like what's going to make the best economic sense? What, what, what just makes the most practical sense? And that is to bring two Moabite women back with me to Israel, where the chances of them getting married in Israel to Jewish men is highly unlikely. I don't have any sons who could provide for them, which means that I'm going to have to provide for them, but I'm a widow and I'm going to have enough problems providing for myself. And so the whole thing is unwise. And she pushes the girls back to her Moabite parents and to her Moabite gods. And Orpah goes with tears. She loves uh, Naomi, but with tears, she follows that practical advice and heads back. But Ruth would not follow it. Ruth is highly impractical. And Ruth loves Naomi and clings to her, you'll remember, and says, I'm going nowhere except wherever you go. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you dwell, I will dwell. And nothing, not even death, she says, will part us. That's how committed I am to you. And sure, there's no prospects, but I'm going with you. The text ended, if you remember, with that little turn the, the background music of the, of the story turned because we were told in the last verse of chapter 1 that this was all happening at the beginning of the barley harvest. And so perhaps, perhaps there is a turn in the story and good things are to come. But not according to Naomi. You'll remember Naomi comes back and she's recognized by her friends and so forth. And they say, hey, isn't that Naomi? And she says, do not call me Naomi. Do not call me pleasant, rather call me Mara, call me bitter, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and I have come back empty. And so we see the, the bitterness that she claims God has dealt with her, really eating into her, her, her own heart. There's bitterness in her heart as she looks at what the Lord has done to her, right? Naomi here is the victim. And Naomi looks at what has happened, and all she can see is emptiness. All she can see is lack and want. What she cannot see, apparently because of the blindness of her bitter heart, is her loyal companion that she has with her. The Lord has blessed her with an unbelievable blessing in the person of Ruth. She has not come back empty. She has come back with a great treasure. She just doesn't have eyes to see it. And she has her God with her. And if he is with you, then what can possibly be against you? That's what Paul says in Romans 8. But she cannot see it. And maybe you can, maybe you can relate to this. This is what trouble does to us. This is what calamity does to us. It can very easily make us bitter. And our eyes can go blind to the God that loves us and the God who is with us. The God who smiles, as we thought about from the hymn two weeks ago, behind his frowning providence, there hides a smiling face. And we forget that because all we can see is the frowning providence. All we can feel is the sharp cuts of the bitterness. That's what we feel, and it cuts into our hearts. But that's why we have stories like this. This is why stories like this are in the Bible. Not because this identical thing is going to happen to you, but stories like this give us the lenses through which we are able to read the story that we're in. It's not identical. But stories like this remind us of the God who is governing our stories. 
Naomi couldn't see it. Just like you and I can't see when we're in the middle of the storm. When we're in the middle of these providential things that are happening in our lives, we cannot interpret it. I can't tell you where this story is going. But stories like this remind us that there is a sovereign hand behind it all. And not just a sovereign hand, but again, a smiling face. It didn't feel like that to Naomi. But the story tells us it was true. And we're about to get a little more sense of it in this chapter, which again was already read as our Old Testament reading. The text, the, the, the chapter here again continues that little note of brightness because we were just told it's the beginning of the barley harvest. Well, that's good news for those who've been battling famine. It's the beginning of harvest. But also in chapter two, the text begins with good news because it tells us there's a relative. Now remember, thus far, we haven't had any indication of this. As far as we know from Naomi, she is walking into pure hopelessness, right? She's going back and there is nothing there for her of any hope. But now we're told that there's a relative of Elimelech. And not just a relative, but a wealthy relative. Okay, that's something. Something Naomi didn't tell us. Something Naomi didn't tell Ruth. But the narrator just tips us off here and lets us know, hey, by the way, the land they're going to, there was this guy and he's a relative and he's really wealthy. I'll just leave that there, the narrator says. And let's see, let's see where it goes. But Naomi apparently, again, perhaps in the blindness of her bitterness, has completely forgotten. How do you forget a relative in the little town of Bethlehem? I don't know, but she did. There's no mention or hope with having to do anything with Boaz. Well, the story then flicks to Ruth, and Ruth basically now begins the day by saying to Naomi, let me go out and glean in the fields. You were nervous about having me as another mouth to feed, but actually I'm another set of hands to work. That's, that's why I'm here. And so I'm going to go out and glean in the fields. And here we have a, 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 beautiful, uh, um, a beautiful example of God's goodness written into the Torah, written into the law itself. Because within the Torah were laws such as these, the gleaning laws. And when you own land in Israel and you went out to harvest, you were to harvest your field, it's your field, go ahead and harvest it. But you are not allowed, or you're not supposed to, to harvest the outer edge of the field. You leave that. You leave the outer row around the edge of the field. So that the poor, the destitute, the widows, the orphans, the strangers in the land could come and glean that. They could go and pick from the outer edge of your field. What a beautiful, what a beautiful law. Now they had to work. They had to go harvest it, but it was there for them to take. And not only that, when you drop stuff, when you are harvesting and you drop stuff behind, don't pick it up. Leave it. So the poor and the destitute could come and pick over your field and get the gleanings, the leftovers that you were unable or that dropped off your basket or your wagon or whatever the case might be. This is written right into the Torah itself. God providing and caring. It shows the heart of God that he cares for the stranger and for the widow and for the destitute. And here we have Ruth who is all of that. Ruth is all of it. And she says to Naomi, I'm going to go out and do that. I'm going to hit the fields and see what I can bring back. And you wouldn't bring back much. 
But you bring back something, you could survive, and that's why the laws were there for them. And so uh, Ruth goes out to hit the fields. And then we get this beautiful uh, language that it just so happens that she comes to the field of Boaz, this relative that the narrator just told us about. There's this guy, there, there is a relative, and it just so happens, we're told, and hence the title of the sermon. It just so happens that Ruth stumbles into the field that is owned by Boaz. And so we're introduced to Boaz. Boaz shows up to work, sees his workers, greets them with a hearty and joyful, the Lord be with you, tells us something. He just gives us an indication right off the bat of this character. What a joyful man. He shows up to work and he's greeting his workers with blessing as he comes in. But he notices, he notices this woman gleaning here who he's not seen before and asks, to whom does she belong? And they say, well, she's she's the Moabite woman. That's kind of, her name is going around town. This woman who has left her home to care for Naomi, the widow of your relative. And he has heard this story and he greatly appreciates it. And so he goes to her and just pours out on her an abundance of grace. Right, go and I want you to, now you glean, that's fine, but I, I don't want you to just do that. I want you to go and work with my women in the field who are harvesting and go, go harvest with them. And he tells his workers, now look, hey, let her be. I want her to harvest right here. And Ruth is blown away by this, by this kind of charity. And we don't have any sense. Now, we, we immediately, of course, read in, oh, Elimelech's got ideas. No, he has, I don't know if he has any ideas about being attracted to Ruth. She's a Moabite woman. He's just being kind to her because he has heard, as he tells her, he's heard the stories of her unbelievable kindness to Naomi and, and asks Praise right there and sent by bestowing a blessing. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord provide for you. And then himself begins to do it. Go drink the water that the men provided. You don't have to go back to town to get water. You can drink from the men, from, from the water, the, 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 the buckets that the men have filled. And go ahead, you can harvest right out there with them. And then it comes time to eat. And he says, come, eat with me. S- sit down and, and let's eat, eat right here with, with me and, and, and my workers. And then blesses her with the food, tells his workers, hey, make sure you drop a little extra. You know, when you're working, intentionally be careless, intentionally drop some so that she's able to harvest. And she doesn't just bring back a little, she brings back an ephah, which is about a little over 30 pounds of food, 30 pounds of grain. And gets back to Naomi, and Naomi is blown away by this. What in the world? Where did you, where did you glean? Whose field did you come into? She says, I went into the field of a man. His name was Boaz. And the scales fall off of Naomi's eyes and maybe her heart. She says, Boaz? Hey, wait a second. I have a relative. (laughs) Boaz is a relative. I forgot about Boaz. And then she tells Ruth, Ruth, be sure not to go to any other field. But stay with his workers and stay in that field, and he will provide for you. So chapter two, we start to get some hope as the story turns. And again, I want us just to think briefly about these three characters. I want us to think about Ruth, and then Boaz, and then Naomi. First, Ruth. And I'm very cautious not to turn Old Testament stories into moral tales, like just telling us to be good boys and girls, you know, just be like so-and-so. I think that this is 
too often what we do with Old Testament stories. You know, you should be like Noah. You should be like David. You should be like Joseph. You should be like, and you should be like them. That's usually just not the point of the story. But at the same time, there is some truth to that. We do have characters held up before us as models of virtue, models of godliness, or sometimes as as models of of uh, evil doing. And here, Ruth, what a beautiful uh, model and embodiment of virtue we see in her. In some sense, Ruth is what Israel was supposed to be. She is what Naomi was supposed to be. But Naomi, the Israelite woman, did not trust the Lord. She fled and participated in all kinds of impurity, whereas Ruth demonstrates, as as a Moabite woman, demonstrates the very virtue, faith, trust that that Naomi and all of Israel was supposed to show. She's an unbelievable hard worker. She's ready to go. I mean, she's sacrificial. We know that because she's already said to Naomi, wherever you go, I'm going. I don't care what it means. I'm there for you. So we've already seen that. But on top of that, first thing in the morning, there she goes. She's out to work. And we're told, you'll remember when when Boaz does notice her and says, who's that? The, the servant comes and says, well, well, that's the Moabite woman who came up with Naomi. And she came and asked if she could glean. And not only that, she's, but she's been doing it all day. She did take a little break for, she did take a little break in the house. But other than that, she's been busting her hump all day out there. She's a hard worker, diligent to provide for Naomi. And not only that, but humble. She, she has a right under the Torah to come and glean. She, she, she's allowed to do it. That's a right she has. But notice she doesn't just, she does not presume. Though, again, that's what it's there for. But she does not presume. She, rather, she comes and she asks the servant if she may. And she hits the fields as a foreigner, humble, asking permission. And then not just asking permission, but when she receives, she's filled with gratitude. Right? She falls before Boaz. And this is before Boaz just unloads on her. She asks why she's found such favor. As he says, yes, yes, continue. You may, you may do this. And I'll do this, and I'll do that, and I'll do that. But but Ruth is overwhelmed with gratitude. Here, here is a woman who does not feel entitled, even though by the law she is entitled. Rather, there's a humility, there's a virtue to Ruth. What a beautiful picture of virtue, faithfulness, diligence, courage, hitting the fields as a stranger in the open fields, and who knows how people treat you, right? She's a woman out there on her own. Humble and filled with gratitude. Just a beautiful picture of what Israel itself, in, in some sense, she, she's the embodiment of the virtue that God demanded of Israel, but that Israel was so desperately lacking. And hence the famine to begin with, right? We talked about that. So we're introduced once again to the beautiful Ruth. But then secondly, we're introduced to Boaz, this potential redeemer, to the one who might, we're told, we're just given that little hint at the beginning. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. And of course, we know because we know the rest of the story. Again, this is the beauty of the story. We get to zoom out and see things through the eyes of the narrator that in fact, Boaz is our hero. 
Boaz is our small s savior. God is the savior of Ruth and Naomi. But the small s savior is Boaz. Boaz is the man who is going to be the kinsman redeemer. That is the one who looks out for his family. And this too was written into the Torah. Right? When there's a problem in the family and the family goes into debt and they become destitute, other family members need to reach in there and do what they have to do to buy them out of their debt enslavement or to buy them out of, uh, of their problems and their troubles. And now we, it's yet for us to determine whether or not Boaz is going to do what needs to be done, but we have some good indication here that he is such a man who will do it. What do we see of Boaz's character as we come in? First, we see, again, just the joyfulness of the man and the piety of the man. He, he respects his workers. He shows up and he says to them, the Lord be with you. That's how he greets them in the day. And they respond back to him. And the Lord bless you. Just a little thing. But it's so revealing about the character of Boaz and his relationship to his servants. He's asking the Lord's blessing to be upon them. He's got eyes to see. He notices. He sees the stranger. He sees Ruth and he's heard the story. And when he finds out who she is, that she is, in fact, the Moabite woman who has cared for his relative's wife, boy, does he open up the floodgates of generosity to her. We see the heart of the man. Now, remember, remember, let us, let us when we think about Boaz, have our eyes tuned to Christ. Because Boaz is a great character. I say he's the small S Savior, but of course, as a small S Savior, he's pointing us forward to the capital S Savior. What we see in Boaz is a pale reflection of the great work of our greater Boaz, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. And think about the way that Boaz, this broken, flawed Savior, opens up with such generosity upon a foreigner, upon a Moabite woman. Right? What does he do? Not only does he let her continue to glean but he, he calls out and looks after her by gathering his men and saying, you don't lay a hand on her. Okay, he protects her. He looks out for her good. Not only that, he provides more overabundance for her. Not only is she allowed to glean, but also she's allowed to drink of the water that the men provide. Not only that, but he's, she's allowed to glean in the field. Not just on the perimeter and not just the, 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 the leftovers that fall over, but she's allowed to glean in the field. And he tells the men, don't you get angry about it. I'm going to let her do this and don't you raise a stink about it when they very well might. But he cares for her. He protects her. He provides for her. Even things behind the scenes that she wouldn't know. She doesn't know that he's behind the scenes telling the men, hey, leave a little behind. Make sure you drop a little extra for her to have. And then on top of that, he even in his, his relationship with her, he covets a relationship with her. And again, I think we go too far if we think at this point he has any romantic interest in her. He's just caring for her and being a friend to her, to, to a stranger. But he doesn't just say, hey, make sure she's taken care of. He actually calls her over and sits and eats with her. Right? A lot like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who eats with the stranger, with the outcast, right? And the, and the, the sinner here. Boaz has no shame in sitting and eating with this Moabite woman and breaking bread with her and providing for her needs. So we see Ruth and we see this picture, this beautiful picture of the providing hand 
of Boaz and God providing for Ruth through Boaz. And then finally, at the end of the story, we come back to Naomi. And it's interesting because as the story now comes back to Naomi and Ruth brings her report, we begin to see a turn in her as well. Not only is the story turning, but the very heart of Naomi is turning. I'm sure her expectations were low as she sends out her Moabite daughter-in-law to the fields to glean. What could she possibly bring back? And will she even come back? But not only does she come back, but she comes back and blows Naomi away with the bounty that she brings. She, She brings bags overflowing here. She thought she'd come back with a little handful of stuff. Instead, she comes back with 30 to 40 pounds of grain. My daughter, where did this come from? And Naomi Naomi is blown away by the bounty, but even more, she's blown away when news comes back that it came from Boaz's field and that there is hope of redemption. And the, the icy heart of Naomi begins to melt as Ruth becomes, comes back and begins to tell the stories to her. And as Ian Duguid, a, a commentator, points out, you even see a little repentance, perhaps, in the heart of Naomi. Was, as Naomi gives counsel to Ruth at the end of this text, chiding her not to leave the fields of Boaz. And that has a poignancy to it. Because is it not the very thing that Naomi did in leaving the fields of her God, leaving the house of bread? There she was living in the house of bread with the great field owner of Yahweh, right? Yahweh provided for her and for her family. And what did she do? She and her husband left the fields of her God and went to, again, greener pastures. And here you have Naomi now, chiding her daughter-in-law, Ruth, Ruth, whatever you do, don't make the mistake I made. Ruth, stay hunkered down in the fields of Boaz, for there you will be provided for. And not just provided for, but provided abundantly for. The New Testament reading this morning was John chapter 6, and the reason I chose that, one, because there's all kinds of resonances there, with bread and desiring bread and wanting signs and having them provided in this amazing uh, uh, act of God in that they come and they're, they're gathered together and they how are we going to eat? How are we going to eat? There's not enough food here for all these 5,000 people. And Jesus said, well, what do we have? But he knows, we're told. He asks Philip to find out, see what we have for food, but he knows the answer. But he's pushing them and testing Philip. Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust that we can survive this? And well, we found this boy and he's got a couple loaves and a few fish. And the Lord said, that'll be sufficient. And he begins to feed the people. And as he feeds them, not only do they eat and have their fill, but we're told there's all these leftovers. <laughs> it's, it's not just that the Lord provides with the pittance that you think you have. He provides, but then he provides to superabundance. And you get a little taste of that in this story too, because Ruth is invited to come sit down 
with Boaz. And what does she have? She has nothing. She has zero prospects when she shows up in the field that day. But now meeting Boaz, she sits down to eat. And in this story, again, there's a resonance, a little echo of the story of John chapter six, because she sits down to eat with Boaz. And not only does she eat, but she has her fill. And not only does she have her fill, but there's food left over, we're told. This is a Moabite widow living in a foreign land. And not only does she have her fill, but there is abundance left over. And that little picture right there is the picture that Naomi is going to feel. Not only have we received, but my goodness gracious, we have received to overabundance. The Lord is indeed at work in his providential hand, providing Naomi not only with Ruth, but providing Ruth with Boaz and through Boaz with sustenance for the day and not just for the day, but it looks like even more will come. Our text ends with a little note of, and it's, it's interesting how these chapters do this. We get these little hints and indicators and at the end of chapter two, we're left with another problem. And it's not a horrible problem. It's just a note of a problem. Right? So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. And here the narrator is giving us a little indication of the next level of the problem. The first is we've got to survive, and look how the Lord has provided with such abundance there. But we still have two widows living together, and Ruth, the young widow who needs to be married and really for the sake of the family, needs to be married so that the line may continue. We're told and we're left with a little hint of, darkness isn't the right word, but the fact that she's living with her mother-in-law, i.e. she's not married. But this will draw us into chapter three, where even this the Lord will provide as he has the food, so he will provide for the land and the seed of Elimelech in the land and the home of Naomi through the gift that he has given, namely of Ruth. And we'll leave that to next week to see how the Lord provides. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess, as we already have earlier in the service, our tendency to worry, our tendency toward anxiety, dare we say, our tendency toward bitterness, when the hard hand of your providence is turned toward us. Father, we pray that as we read the story of Ruth and see your hand at work in their lives, in the lives of Ruth and Naomi, that you would build us up with confidence, trusting in you to provide all our needs. For Father, you provided Ruth to Naomi, and you provided Boaz to Ruth. And Father, you've provided them all to us that through them we might receive the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, fill us with confidence, we pray, as we go out into the world and that you've called us into, where the murkiness of your providence leaves us unable to interpret what you're doing. Fill us with confidence and trust, we pray, that we might be courageous and strong in our faith, and light in the darkness to those who surround us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.